I developed a pretty severe panic disorder, um, which actually led to a derealization disorder. Um, derealization is when you feel as though the world is no longer real. You're kind of slipping out of reality and you can't tell. It's like you start slipping into like, is this a dream? Am I in the matrix? <laughs> am I am I real? Depersonalization ends up being where you feel like maybe I'm not real and maybe I'm not here or there's I, I'm not who I used to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. I'm your host, Todd Rennebaum, and I'm very excited about this episode. I've I've been so excited to to play it ever since I recorded it with Wit Misseldine. Uh, it's probably been hmm, a couple months ago. And if you don't know that name, Wit Misseldine, he is the host of an amazing podcast. It's probably my favorite podcast. Uh, it is called This Is Actually Happening, and that's on Wondery. Uh, and he talks to a lot of people that have gone through a lot of traumatic events. It's, it's, it's a storytelling podcast, and uh, you, you just have to check it out. Uh, I've had a few of my guests. I, I heard them on his show and I reached out to them and it sounds like there's a few people that were on my podcast that are going to be on This Is Actually Happening in the Future. So that's exciting that we get to, uh, you know, support each other that way with guests and uh, but have different way of telling their stories. And yeah. And next week I have another lovely person telling their story. Her name is Kiana and she has, well, she's been diagnosed with a few things, but she's had I also had all types of treatments and medications and things. And uh, the only thing that helped was ketamine. Uh, so she is going to talk about uh, her story and what it's like getting ketamine treatment and what to expect and what, ex well, maybe not what to expect, but what, what her experience is. So be sure to check that out next week and, and be sure to, to tell other people about the podcast. I actually just recently got a very wonderful email from someone the other day and, and I'd like to share it with you. Hey Todd, my name is Mike. I'm a big fan of your show, man. I just wanted to reach out and let you know how your podcast is helping me out in my life. Your podcast has been such an eye-opener, allowing me to hear other people's stories and struggles with mental health and addictions. I have learned so much, which is part of the reason why I love the show so much. I personally am diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, ADD, and have struggled with addiction. I found myself in rehab treatment centers and psychiatric wards throughout the years. I know the struggle, but I am happy to say today I am sober. Even though taking care of my mental health is a full-time job, I am so grateful to have access to a podcast like yours that helps me be reminded that I am not alone in this. It also shows me that there is a lot of hope, which is all I need sometimes. Boom. <laughs> um, yeah, and this is why I, I, why I want you to share and... and rate and review and, and follow on on social media because you never know what you're going to hear or or if you share it who might see it and get something like this out of it so uh, i very much appreciate that email mike uh, i'm very happy that you know this podcast is is providing a service for you and not only is it helping people that can relate i think it's also helping a lot of people that can't relate uh like family members or, or loved ones that maybe don't quite understand what their loved ones are going through uh so anyway Please rate and review and share. Tell people about the podcast. Follow my social medias on Instagram, Bunny Hugs Podcast, on TikTok, Bunny Hugs Podcast, and on Facebook, Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. Okay, enough of that stuff, but please do it. Back to this week's episode with Whit Misseldine. Uh, I, I just think he's just, he's just the tops, you know? 
Uh, so anyway, without further ado, I give you Wit Misseldyne. Yeah, so I, there are many reasons for starting the podcast. So the real origins of this are that I was working at um, an HIV research center in New York City. I was getting my PhD in social psychology and I was getting uh, to sort of fund my PhD program. I was working in HIV research and we were studying a lot of the links between the behavioral links really between HIV drug use and the spread of infection, right? So people who use drugs and alcohol are more likely to have unsafe sex practices, et cetera. So um, we were looking at all these links and I was there um, doing a lot of interviews with guys about their behavioral patterns. And we were actually testing out a method of um, therapeutic intervention and so what we they had to do was some people had to get the therapeutic intervention by sitting down with a therapist and the other people had to be in a control condition where they were just with a person like me who was a lowly graduate student who was just there listening without giving the therapeutic intervention right so you control for everything except for the intervention itself so what that gave me is this incredibly rare opportunity to simply listen to people and I couldn't really give them advice and I couldn't give them anything else. I just had to listen. And I listened to just hundreds of guys' stories. It was almost all men um, in those studies. And it was just unbelievable. Like I was doing my psychological research. And when I heard the depth of their stories, I just thought this is so much more complex than the theories that we're able to apply to what's going on here. And not only that, but all of their stories, the richness of their stories ended up as data in a data set and got published in public policy papers. Very interesting and good research to do. And yet all this richness is sort of left on the table. So ever since then, I'd always been looking for a way to kind of dive into these just unbelievable life circumstances that I feel like challenge so much about what we think about the world and how we think about human behavior when you just really dig in and hear the complexity of someone's life. Um, so that's kind of the first origin. Um, podcasting didn't even exist. Podcasting, I think, was invented the year I got my PhD. So when people ask you what you want to be when you grow up, I think that's impossible <laughs> now, given the rate of technological change. Um, and yeah, a few years later, I developed a pretty severe panic disorder, um, which actually led to a derealization disorder. So panic attacks can cause episodes of derealization, and that was happening to me, and I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know either of those terms and what they meant, and I certainly didn't think they applied to me. Um, and so that was difficult. Um, a lot of my friends were also going through a lot of difficult things at that time. Um, the first episode of the show is, is a, was a friend of mine, and she um, was going through an extraordinary event. Um, so yeah, so that was the second thing was just this um, this uh, panic attack and derealization disorder. And then the third thing um, was that I was listening to a lot of podcasts right around that time. And I just kept seeing hosts sort of intervene in when someone was telling their story, like This American Life and Snap Judgment. And, you know, some shows are meant to be interview shows where you're sitting down like we are right now and you're going back and forth. And, and that's meant to be a dialogue. But I felt like there were so many times when it didn't need to be a dialogue. It was someone telling their story and then they would come in with narration and say, 
for the next five years, so-and-so did this. And I'm like, why don't you just have them tell it? Why can't they just tell their story <laughs> your way? And so I kind of, I, I work with this format of doing the interview in a conversational tone, but then editing myself out. And I, over the time, over the years have like honed that kind of technique. Um, mm. So anyway, those are kind of the three origins of the show. And then now we can, yeah. So now you want to ask your question about derealization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, this is my show. Don't tell me how to. No, oh, good, good. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's go back. Um, okay. Let's go back. Uh, so, 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 what is derealization? Um, is it a disorder or? I don't know exactly where it lands in the DSM sort of categories, but um, it is usually referred to as depersonalization slash derealization disorder, which is DPDR. Um, it often gets shortened to DPDR because those two pieces often go together. Um, derealization is when you're, you feel as though the world is no longer real. You're kind of slipping out of reality and you can't tell. It's like you start slipping into like, is this a dream? Am I in the matrix? <laughs> am I, am I real? Um, and then that happens with depersonalization as well. Depersonalization ends up being, um, the other side of that, where you feel like maybe I'm not real and maybe I'm not uh, here or there's, I, I'm not who I used to be. Um, hmm. So those are the, at least as far as I know, those are kind of the major features of it. Um, so I, I noticed with your, I know they're telling the story, but you kind of guide your, your guess as to how you want the story to go along. So, I mean, you, you don't intervene, but you kind of, you more or less guide them how you, how the story should be told perhaps. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, usually we do kind of a, a very linear form of storytelling. I really try to just sort of start at the beginning and then we go through the chapters of their life. And I do anchor, I anchor my show around a particular transformative event that was not the person's choice. So that's sort of the general theme of the show is sort of like something that massively transformed someone um, that was outside of their control. Not like, oh, I decided to change careers, right? But something that really happened to you. Um, and so I do anchor it in that and that becomes sort of the center point of the show. And so we do, we sort of follow like a before the event itself and then the aftermath into that sort of three-part thing. And I do guide them along. I. I help them dive into certain aspects of their story. I help them summarize certain parts of their story. I, you know, we do, I consider it in some ways a collaborative effort. Um, often sort of halfway through, they're just in the flow. And sometimes they'll just talk for 20 minutes without me saying anything. Um, other times, you know, we have to go back and forth a lot and try to sort of ferret out what they want to say, how they want to say it. Yeah, I noticed, and this is something I really like, because sometimes they are connected. Uh, so you interview someone about... Well, I don't know, I'll just use Jeremy Evans as an example, as a bear attack. But you also talk about their their early childhood and how what what their life was like growing up. And sometimes there's early childhood traumas and stuff, or their parents had early childhood traumas. So then it really makes this pathway of like, this is what this person's life was. And perhaps some of this earlyhood child traumatization or whatever, you know, it's not maybe a hundred percent connected to the, the main story that uh, they're telling, but you know, there are maybe mm -hmm. little connections there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I try to focus on events that have fed into sort of the central thing that we're talking about. 
Um, but sometimes there's just multiple stuff that happens in someone's life and, and we cover it off. They feel it's meaningful to add. So is this your full-time gig? Yeah, this is my full-time gig now. It is been really like just an enormous privilege. I don't know, to be able to do my creative work as a career. Um, but that didn't happen until 2020. So I had been doing this show since 2012. Um, so it was eight years until it got big enough that it got picked up by Wondery, bought by Wondery. And then I became sort of the ongoing host and was able to quit my day job and, and do this full time. Um, and then I could go weekly for a while. I was only doing it every other week and I'd sort of release maybe 20 something episodes a year. And now it's 45 or so episodes a year. Well, I've been doing this two years. I still got about six years. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I just got my first sponsor like last month. So like... Oh, that's great though. That's amazing. I mean, honestly, that's a good timeline. Like two years is people think that, you know, this kind of stuff, oh, six months or, you know, I've heard people just talk about like, well, I have 10 or so episodes. I still haven't gotten anything. And I'm like, you just be patient. <laughs> that's like, I mean, it wasn't until episode 50 till I felt like I really knew what I was doing at all in the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm actually, I've just recorded my hundredth episode oh, and wow. uh, someone was talking to me about uh, the podcast and how I think it's going and stuff. And it's like, I, I finally feel like I think I know what I'm doing. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it took a hundred episodes. Actually. Yeah. It's, it's like going to university for four years and then having four years of a career. Then you're like, oh, okay. Now I'm, now I get it. Right. Now I get it. Right. Right. When you graduate, it's <laughs> now you understand how I work. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, well, we both said um at the same time. That was neat. Uh, <laughs> we did. We did. <laughs> Jinx. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. uh Shit. I was going to say, oh, I do, I do kind of look at this as going to school in a way. It's like, I'm going to give it four years and I have to, I've never stuck with anything in my life. And, and I, we mentioned that, you know, I'm sure my, my audience is tired of me talking about getting diagnosed with ADHD, but I've never stuck with a job for like longer than two years. And that's one of my symptoms is I'm just, I'm all over the place. I don't get, you know, this, I, I suck the dopamine out of it. I'm no longer happy. It starts to get challenging. Boom. I move somewhere else. So, um, I'm really trying to stick with this mostly because it just feels like a really good fit for me. Like I really, really, really enjoy it. Um, yeah. And so I think like anything else, if, if I would have just stuck with it, maybe it would have panned out <laughs> to, yeah, to, to be so good. So, um, I mean, yeah. this is what they talk about the 10,000 hours rule, right? I mean, it's not a hard right. and fast rule, but it's a good general number of like, yeah, you really don't become an expert at something until you've done it for 10,000 hours. And in our, our society, the way things change, the way we are, um, it's incredibly difficult to stick with something. And it's, it was incredibly difficult before we had all these distractions of social media and, and the internet. Um, but I feel like, especially for creative work, um, you need to have something that you can continuously return to that gives you the motivation to keep going. Um, and for me, it really, you know, as much as it was this like yearning to tell stories in a different way, and as much as it was like my academic work and hearing those stories, you know, and really wanting to tell those men's stories, it's it's the derealization disorder and, and panic disorder that really keeps me going back. Um, I think when we have traumatic events like that, we spend our entire life really trying to make sense of them sometimes, um, even when we've healed or when we've found our coping mechanisms. 
I really do think it can be a lifetime of, of just trying to put that together and sort of integrate it into your life. And for me, the show interviewing other people, you know, while they have life-changing experiences that are all over the map and aren't necessarily always in the mental health, like in that space of, of mental breakdown, um, they always teach me something and they always teach me something that goes back to me integrating and healing that part. And so there's just this almost like endless wellspring of motivation that comes from that kind of thing. And when you can find that, like find that kernel that sort of keeps you going, then you will do it. 10,000 hours, no problem. Right. It'll, it'll just come. Yeah. I, uh, it, it, listening to other people's stories is a bit like, like I've, I've been involved in AA. Uh, I have it's been a long time since I've been to a meeting, but uh, it is a bit like an AA meeting where it doesn't matter who's talking. You do gain some wisdom, some knowledge. There's a grain of something from their story that I can apply to my own life. And I was going to ask, is that is that did that help with your derealization, your panic attacks, listening to other people's stories? And was it kind of uh, uh, therapeutical for you to hear these stories and to be kind of part of their their journey of telling their story? Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't even actually find out that derealization was part of what I had for the longest time. I would just say, Oh, I have these panic, this, I have these panic attacks. I have this panic disorder. And then I talked to other people who suffered from panic attacks and I'd be like, yeah, you know, and you know how after a panic attack, you know, for the next week or two, you kind of feel like things aren't real and and like you're in a David Lynch movie and they'd be like, uh, I guess so. <laughs> you know, they would say, sure. Uh, and then I realized, I forget which episode it is now. I'd have to know the number. Um, it was called, um, what if you thought your mother was a robot? Um, it was in like the one sixties or something. Um, that I realized that what I had was derealization disorder and took me 160 episodes of doing it before I realized that derealization was actually the feature that I was struggling with most. The panic attack and feeling like you're going to die is one thing, but that sense of being thrown into an alternate reality um, for an extended period of time uh, was something that I didn't even know I was struggling with. So the show directly helped me because it gave me the term that I needed. And then outside of that though, yeah, I mean, people who have just I mean, to me, what's extraordinary is just, you know, what I had, these panic attacks, this derealization just pales in, com in comparison to some of the things people have been through on the show. And the fact that they've survived and thrived and, and transformed what they've done into something meaningful and moved on with their life was just so inspiring. And it really has helped me just understand, you know, this is nothing. And if they can get through that, I can get through this. That's not nothing. Don't. Don't devalue <laughs> your, your own emotions. Yes. Don't validate true. yourself. It's true. No, it's true. It's true. And I, you know, that's another thing I have actually learned through the show is to really take it seriously, name it often. Like you said, you were talking about ADHD a lot recently. I try to talk about it as much as it is relevant to, to the conversation, because I think it is important to keep it important in your life and not minimize it. Um, that being said, you know, people who get into a coma for four months and lose their legs or someone who's mauled by a grizzly bear. It's a little bit more extreme than what I went through. Um, <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. Honoring, honoring where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's something I really try to avoid is comparing myself to yeah. other people's stories or, or even other podcasters or other fathers, whatever. 
because uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah exactly. that's a good way yeah. to uh, devalue yourself. But exactly, exactly. But I think I, you know, I mentioned it more in terms of just the sort of inspiration of it, right? Just like right. seeing what these people go through, and so, so it's not necessarily to diminish my own, but just to see the extraordinary nature of what some people deal with and how they overcome that. It's just absolutely inspiring, right? So, right. So yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I fully understand. I, I fully appreciate that and understand that. Um, mm. Your your panic attacks was that. Was there an event that kind of created that for you? Is it like PTSD driven or is it just DNA driven or? So this is, that's a great question because I, it was a confluence of factors that I know led to the first one. And it was, I was drinking a lot. I was smoking. I used to smoke a pack a day of cigarettes. I was on this job um, that I was totally overwhelmed by. I was just, I was just in a way out of my element. I was no, not, not only like overwhelmed, but I was very much like, out of my element and and being in a space that wasn't good for me. Um, was this but, the HIV place? No, this was actually later on after I was doing the accelerated learning. Uh, work oh, okay, right. We, we can talk gotcha. about that if you, if you want to, but I was Not working boring. in the corporate world. Yeah, <laughs> I was working in the corporate world. Yeah, as a consultant, I was doing these learning simulations and we were working with this company in Switzerland and I was in Switzerland and I was just jet lagged and on lots of coffee and smoking cigarettes and yeah, just super overwhelmed by the job. And it all came to a head and I just had this panic attack. Um, and then they just kept coming. I couldn't stop them after that for a while. And then it would lead to these derealization episodes. And, you know, while it was, that's a cause in a way, you know, kind of having this trifecta of things come together. And I was like, you know, how many people in their thirties aren't a overwhelmed by their job, drinking and smoking a lot and not getting enough sleep. Right. Um, so I was like, why, why is this extreme thing happening to me and, and not other people? And I've never found the cause. I have no idea. I don't have any major childhood traumas. Of course, I went through a lot. My father had a stroke when I was 14 and he survived, but, you know, and we've been through things in my family, but again, nothing I would count as sort of a major trauma. Um, it didn't bring up a deep well. And so what was interesting to me is that I searched for a long time to think, is there a trauma? Is there something I'm blocking? Is there something that's coming up that I don't understand about myself? And I realized that part of the trauma of the attack was that there was no explanation. And I think it's actually what sort of led to a lot of the derealization aspects, because I couldn't link it to anything in particular. It just didn't seem to make sense to me. And when it didn't make sense, it's like nothing seemed to make sense. And it would keep me in this state of just of bewilderment um, is the only way to sort of describe it. Um, so, so I don't know. And I think there's something to be said, I think, for this, for people who experience a certain degree of privilege. I mean, I'm a white male. I grew up in a in a work in a working to middle class environment. Um, you know, I was always loved by my parents. There was no real reason to have this breakdown. And I think sometimes it's really hard when there isn't like this direct link that we can uncover for people in those positions of relative privilege to really understand their own mental health because they don't have an anchor. And I learned over time just to accept that it doesn't have to have a cause. And in a fact, in fact, like trying to search for a cause actually makes it a lot worse. I can, I can imagine. Um, yeah. cause I mean, 
So I, I've, I've seen people on online once I came out saying that I had ADHD <clears throat> or not came out, but once I was assessed and I was diagnosed with ADHD, some people were like, oh, that's just a label. And, and I'm like, no, actually, I've been searching for this all my life. I need this label. So then I know this is, this is what I am. And mm-hmm. I, I honestly think, well, it's hard to say <laughs> because now I'm getting the proper meds and the proper treatment and stuff that probably has a lot to do with me doing better, my anxiety down, but uh, part of it was also that journey of trying to find out what the fuck, why am I like this? And so I can imagine how that would make it worse. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess at some point, did you just accept it and be like, maybe this is just, this is just how it is. And for whatever yeah. reason, this is the way it is. It's just the unknown, you know, it's just, yeah. it can be, it can be, I think as simple as sort of the trauma of being born into an existential situation of being human. You know, there's right, something right. there's something about just being a human being and and being aware of our own mortality, you know, <laughs> and and aging and being overwhelmed and having, you know, to be make decisions about the rest of your life from a place of relative ignorance when you're young. Um, there's just a lot of these sort of facts of the human condition, I think, that lead to or can lead to a lot of outcomes. And we don't appreciate those. I think often once people sort of find the answer, oh, well, my dad was like this, or my mom was like this, or this happened to me. I think that can explain some of it. And I think that can be really useful in uncovering the layers. And I think we often fail to appreciate just the basic human condition that can really throw us for a loop um, in various ways in our life that we don't understand. I also kind of find it ironic that you were working for a company, traveling around, telling you being a, a consultant on, you know, how to treat your staff, but then the company you're working on worth, I mean, was burning you out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were transforming the company, right? We were doing these <laughs> learning simulations and we're there to help. And yeah. Meanwhile, in the background, one of our team members, me, is having a breakdown. Um, no one knew any different. No one had any idea what I was going through. Um, that was also fascinating, right? That also really gave me an understanding of the invisibility of mental illness, which is another huge piece that I think I learned so much and I sympathize with so much for people on the show. Um, and I think without understanding what that invisibility is like, it would be hard for me to understand the invisibility of people who don't feel they can tell their story or reveal it um, out of shame or whatever it is. And for me, it was just, it wasn't even a deep well of shame. It was just... I'm a professional here in this work capacity. I have to show up today. And technically I could have just quit and left, but I just felt that pressure and that was it. And I just kept totally silent about it until um, a, a few months later when I actually had a breakdown at work and finally my boss understood what was going on. Uh, but I didn't reveal anything until then. And hmm. I get it. I get why people keep it silent. For myself, when I have anxiety and panic, I feel shame afterwards because I feel I feel inadequate. I feel, yeah, shame and inadequate. Um, did, did you have that same feeling where it's like, why can't I function? You know, that 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 negative talk. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of like, I shouldn't be like this. I just kept, right. kept telling myself like, this isn't supposed to be happening. And where is that from? Like, I don't know why we think this isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's one of these narratives we tell ourselves um, and partially just because it's painful. And so you don't want it to be happening, but there is that layer, right? That's kind of shame. And I, 
I also wasn't sure how to articulate it or help people understand. And still people just don't get it. If you have not had a derealization episode, it's a very difficult thing to understand. The only thing I can relate it to is like a bad trip on acid. Um, that's the closest you get to it where you're kind of losing your mind and you're in a dark place and you cannot get out of that trap and you're just not yourself for a while. Um, but people who haven't done acid or mushrooms and haven't had a bad trip also can't relate. <laughs> so <laughs> I can. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. And it, it was what gave me a, a bit of understanding around it. But um, yeah, I was curious for you, like what that kind of like, you know, I know there are some, I don't know if you want to talk about some of your, the elements of your past or not. Um, but if you want to talk about, you know, like, did you start to have these symptoms of ADD? And before your diagnosis, did you feel like you couldn't explain to people what was going on and therefore didn't talk about it? Yeah. Or I didn't know, I didn't know how to talk about it. So I tried to explain, but it, even to me, it was like, no, nah, that's not quite it. Uh, and it wasn't until, well, there was a couple of things. There was, I was at a family reunion and it was like, every one of my relatives were talking about their ADHD meds. So I was like, does everybody in my family has ADHD? I was like, what the hell's going on? I like, is that something I should be worried about? Uh, and then it was like Instagram and TikTok videos. And some of the languages, some of the language people were using in those and some of the, you know, like if you do this or, or sometimes they're, you know, there's humorous, right? So they reenact something humorous that someone with ADHD would do. And I'm like, okay, that that's, yes, it was like, it was, it was almost like, I don't know, that, that sudden feeling of realization of like, holy shit, like, yes, that's, that's what I'm feeling. That's what it feels like. And, uh, so then I, I. I talked to my wife and she was like, I don't know, maybe <laughs> she's because I have ADHD. I'm always coming to her with stuff. And she's like, sure. Okay. Do whatever you want. You know, like, I think I have ADHD. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. What do you want from me? Uh, so then uh, I kind of looked into trying to get assessed and uh, um, it's really expensive and there's long waits and stuff. But anyway, I, I, I eventually got the, uh, the assessment test and um yeah, just talking with that psychologist and that was like, yeah, it was, it was pretty profound. Um, but again, yeah. yeah, I didn't, I talked about it, but I was talking about it wrong. I was talking about it like it was anxiety and depression and it was addiction. These are all things I was very open about talking about, but I, little mm -hmm. did I realize these were actually co comorbidities of ADHD. So I was talking about symptoms, but uh -huh. I wasn't talking about the cause of the symptoms, I guess, because I didn't know, I didn't right. understand it. And now right. it's like, I won't shut up about it. <laughs> yeah. Did you come? So then in terms of the anxiety and depression and alcohol use, like, was that something that was also a journey for you to be able to even talk about that from a mental health perspective? Um, sort of when I was younger, especially. Yeah. Like I, I remember like taking my girlfriend, uh, who's now my wife, we've been married 20 years this summer, but anyway, um, one of our first dates, like taking her on a walk and like taking her somewhere. Cause I was like, I have to tell her about my, I just called the depression. It was actually probably more anxiety, but the anxiety caused the depression and the, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it wasn't secret, but it was like, cause I didn't understand it. No one was talking about depression then. This was over 20, 25 years ago. And so, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I was blatantly open until, uh, it was about six years ago when I kind of started advocating and, what it actually was, was Robin Williams' suicide kind of spurred the whole thing. Oh, wow. Someone wow. made a comment online about 
uh, I'm never watching one of his movies again. And he's, he's such a selfish bastard for doing that and all this stuff. And I was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> hold the phone. So then I, I basically came out of the closet, so to speak with, with mm. everything. Cause I had been in the psych ward after a suicide attempt and all this stuff. Um, mm. Mm. and I, I wrote a letter. Well, I cut a letter. I, I wrote a, <laughs> a Facebook post, which then I, I copied and pasted and sent it to, I don't know why I did this be honest with you but i sent it to like a bunch of news outlets and stuff and it blew up i mean it was it went viral it was like tens of thousands of shares like um hillary clinton uh, her her team picked it up and put on her website and um and like i'm not even american i was like like i just googled myself like about a week after this letter was written and i was like what the fuck is going on like holy shit and so uh, yeah, it just blew up and I had people coming out of the woodwork supporting me and, you know, telling me their story. So I, I went from like this de- depressed kind of quiet guy, not quiet, but you know, quiet about my journey to now I'm like mm-hmm. the spotlight is put on me and like news media outlets from fucking all over came out and wanted to do stories on me and all this shit. And it was like, it was, it was intense. Today's episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health is brought to you by Co-op. I've been a member of my local co-op, Sherwood Co-op, for, oh, about 25 years, I think. My co-op is one of more than 150 local independent cooperative associations in more than 600 communities across Western Canada. Co-op is a different kind of business. It's not just a gas bar or a grocery store, although co-op is those things too. At its core, co-op is a group of people working together to help their neighbors and build their community. Co-op members are owners and success is shared with everyone. Your co-op doesn't benefit one person or one corporation. Your co-op was built for everyone. Your co-op was built for your community. Learn more about co-op and find a location near you at co-op.crs. So (laughs) that was... uh, And you were specifically... Yeah, that that was specifically about the comment about Robin Williams. That's what kind of motivated you to write that. And then that's how it went viral. Uh, you know what? I might be screwing up a couple things. So there was a, a couple letters within like a month's space. So yeah, that was kind of the first one. That kind of spurred my next letter, which was, so the local government or the provincial government was cutting a bunch of jobs in the psych ward, uh, which then really pissed me off. Uh, and so then I wrote another letter because I was like, oh, you know, people are supporting me and I, I've got this... I, I'm screwed. I kind of screwed up. So the the one that really blew up is this letter I'm about to talk about. So then I came out of okay. the closet about being, uh, 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 having a suicide attempt, being a male, being like a 30 something year old male, white male and a suicide attempt and all this stuff. And my time in the psych ward and all this. And so that one really, really blew up. The other one did relatively well, <laughs> I'll say, but, okay. but this is the one but that really blew up. Yeah. So it was yeah. the second letter that really blew up and, and everybody. Yeah. So then it was, <sighs> it's hard to explain it's like someone explained to me that people that are in the throes of their mental health issues that it's hard to advocate when you're in the throes of it because you are depressed your anxiety you're really on edge or whatever and uh i was in the middle of it and advocating and i was not healthy 
I was not healthy at the time. I should not have been advocating, right? So all the spotlight was put on me. So the next two months were intense in my brain because I felt like, oh God, I, I have to keep advocating. I've got this spotlight on me now and I can't let people down. And meanwhile, I'm drunk and high and suicidal every night still. Um, mm. So then mm. I had another crash after about two months. And uh, that's that's when I... Actually, the last night I quit drinking, I wrote the first draft of my kid's book, Sometimes Daddy Cries. Mm, uh, so yeah. it was actually basically a suicide note. I came in, typed it up on my computer, and then I was either going to kill myself or something. I was really drunk and high and ended up waking up my wife. So yeah, so that wow. really surprised people. So because I was this advocate, I was in the news, I was, you know, Hillary Clinton's posting my stuff and uh, like the National Post of Canada had my letter in it and stuff. And then two months later, I'm like suicidal and drunk and mm. stuff again. So it was, uh, it was pretty intense time. So anyway, that, that was the real healing journey kind of began then. So even though I was in the psych mm. ward a couple of times, I was on meds, I was seeing psychologists, blah, 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 blah. It was actually when I quit drinking that the real healing began. And, mm. um, it's taken about six years to get to where I am now. And mm. I, and the last major piece was this diagnosis of ADHD because, uh, sir, I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That that tells me so much about your story. I was so curious about it. And thank thank you for sharing. I, yeah, you know, yeah. I feel like I hear such a, a another version of invisibility in there, right? Which is as soon as you start talking about it, there's sort of an assumption of healing that's taken place because you are able to articulate it. And now you're right. putting another layer of pressure on yourself, right? Well, how can I be this person talking about it if I'm crumbling inside? And that feeds the crumbling. It feeds the beast, really. And that's something I don't talk a lot about is that two month span of getting all the attention and like people think, oh, he got all this attention. He wanted to be proactive even further and he got sober. It was like, no, I was like, <laughs> like having that attention on me actually just amped my anxiety, my depression, like it just amped up everything. It was like, I was like, holy shit. Like I, I never asked to be an advocate. I just wrote this letter because someone pissed me off or whatever. And then, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, next thing you know, I'm. I, I'm put on a pedestal, you know, and I'm like, holy fuck. Like, and I didn't realize yeah. I, I was, I was too unhealthy to be on that pedestal, but, um, anyway, yeah, people it, want it that redemption. Okay. Yeah. People want the redemption, right. And, and sometimes that's really true for people, but even I always, you know, kind of caution in my show with people when I talk to them about it, like, you know, we're capturing a moment when they're able to show up on the show, they're able to tell their story. They're generally in a good place when they tell it. And there is a huge roller coaster that can happen after that, right? And it's not just like a and happily ever after types of stories. It's just not true. Um, but that pressure, I think, yeah, can really create its own problems. And I think it's so important too. It's so fascinating to hear you talk about the alcohol um, aspect of it because I just think as long as we are addicted to something, the healing almost can never begin. And I don't want to say that universally. I'm not an expert on that. But just from what I've seen, using substances just always, always, always hinders the process. And I had that same thing with alcohol. I, I quit smoking then in 2013. Um, and then I would still drink here and there. And I was never a severe alcoholic. Um, but I definitely had that way drinking way too much, way too late into my thirties. And, you know, a few years ago, I just gave it up and it's made all the difference in the world. And I wasn't even, I was only drinking occasionally on weekends and I'd have two or three or four, you know, nothing like insane, no huge binges. Um, but it was enough to just really hinder who I was and who I, my potential. 
Um, I don't know if you want to talk more about the substance aspect of it and how it keeps you in the, that. Wait, wait, who show is this now? <laughs> <laughs> you can't not be a host, can you? <laughs> I got, I got to ask you exactly. I, I get to. <laughs> um, no, but I agree. It, um, it's like it, you cannot heal until you deal with the the poor coping mechanism. It's like mm-hmm. once that poor coping mechanism is gone, it's okay. The, you know the the curtains open a bit more to okay. You know you're more vulnerable now. You you have to deal with this shit be, because it's gone now. So uh, I 100% agree mm-hmm. that uh, the it was. Uh, I mean I I did have trouble drinking, but I mean I was I was high on weed for like two years straight. Like I mean 24 uh, seven, and mm-hmm. yeah, getting rid of all that really really helped and 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 it really helped the depression uh mm. i still had really bad anxiety i shouldn't say really bad i was had pretty okay anxiety and then i worked in a couple of high pressure jobs and then covid hit uh uncertainty you know the the world was all messed up mm. and my anxiety super amped up and then oh, that's wow. and then that's when i started looking into more of the the ADHD stuff. And it was like, in my mind, it was the hyper kid in school, the hype, you know, the kid that you give them chocolate and they, you know, they won't shut up in class and stuff. Right. But it was like, Oh, that that's exactly me, but it's all internal. So it's causing all this anxiety and stuff. And so anyway, absolutely. Yeah. So So I'm all better now. Yeah. All better. Right. And you will be happily ever after it will never again recur. So no pressure there. (laughs) So that's my story. That's great. I, yeah, it's just a, I think it's just such an interesting thing. I, I really, I don't know. There's something about substance use. I don't know. You know, there are more and more studies coming out now that are like, you know, even one drink in a day can disrupt your sleep. And they're just looking at kind of more and more the effects of some of these substances that we casually use, like caffeine. Also, I had to, I had to completely swear off caffeine, um, except for chocolate. That's my, that's the only time I take in um, caffeine. And you're in France and you can't have coffee? Never. Oh no, decaf. Only decaf. Yeah. Uh, Which does have a little caffeine in it, but that's again, like that's about as all I can handle. Um and yeah, it's really it's really weird. I just never I don't know if it's a sensitive system or if other people just ignore it, but I think we just casually ingest like all these things that are around us all the time and they have the huge a huge effect. Um, and even if you're not a total alcoholic, right. Even if you're not on weed 24 seven, but you're using it as a crutch in some particular way. Um, I don't know, not to demonize any of these things, just that be aware of how it affects you. You know, it's just, even uh, I was told of- intent. What, what's the intention? Why are you using it? Yeah. That's, that's what yeah. to be careful of. Yeah. If it's to celebrate a friend's wedding, great, go do it. Right. <laughs> if it's to cover a wound that is not dealt with, um, examine. Uh, and then another uh, kind of stage of my healing was due to listening to your podcast. Um, mm. I don't know. Usually my episodes don't go like this. <laughs> I don't go into my things too often, but but That's I just want right. I just want you, want you to know just how appreciative I am of of and just how powerful storytelling is, whether mm. you're listening or telling. I've done a lot of artwork, so I I would sit at night and work on my artwork and listen to to podcasts. And then I I found yours, and I was like, oh, this is great. Um, listening to especially the childhood stuff, um, it's like holy shit! Like 
I've, I've talked about this a little tiny teensy bit on my podcast, but I've, I've had some sexual trauma when I was a kid and it was child on child. And I, I say all the time, I don't feel like a victim because I don't feel like I was preyed upon or I was abused in any way. It was just this, I, if anything, I'm a victim of circumstance, this, uh, but it was trauma, right? So it's sexual trauma. And, um, I just never really thought about it. I tried to ignore it, you know, but it was listening to your podcast and some of these other people's stories. It was like when I did think about when it did come up and I was like, oh, you know, I did something similar. It felt really, it, it was yucky feeling, right? And it was like, mm. I, I thought I had, you know, I shoved it under the table long enough and it's like, why, why is it, why, what is this? <laughs> What's going on here? Why does it, why does my heart stop for a second or two when I, every time I think about it, why is this, why does it make me feel yucky? And so mm. I've, you know, I've then explored that. I've talked to a couple professionals. I've talked openly. I've talked with other men. I've talked. So, um, so yeah, that's another mm. part of my healing journey is thanks to, to listening to other people's stories. Um, and, oh, thank you. and your podcast. Yeah. So. I appreciate it. I, I thank you for, for this. And it feels thank so good you. because, you know, I get people saying the same thing back to me because I'm talking to people about this stuff mm -hmm. too. And it's just like, um, and it's a good feeling too, being the host of so. Yeah. <laughs> so but anyway, uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. No, that's wonderful. That's, I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to ask you another question. Sure. <laughs> I'm, curious. <laughs> I'm curious from your perspective, what is it, I've, like, what is it about listening to this is actually happening in particular that you find was healing for you in a way that maybe like AA wasn't or just talking to other men wasn't or because I, I know so many people who they've been in groups they they've talked about their stories in various ways and they still find the show particularly healing for them and I've always been curious why it what kind of function it serves differently than those other ways of sharing hmm that's a good question um if you don't know right off the top of your head, but you know, but if you just think about like what it does for you differently, right? Yeah. I think what it is partly is I, I, I generally am a really good listener, even though I forget what I was just told <laughs> seconds later. But uh, so, you know, when I'm doing something creative, especially, so I'm really involved in the story when someone's talking uh, a lot of group sessions, a lot of peer support stuff. It's very, you get like, there's a lot, a lot of people have to share. So you, the, you only get like two or three minute space. Whereas with the, with the podcast, mm. it's a, it's a, you know, 45 minutes or an hour of just that person talking. There is no, even when you watch a documentary on Netflix or something, there's always music and scenery and, you know, they other stuff, whereas the, it's just that person talking. There's no host coming in asking questions. There's no, it's just, it is so focused on that person and that story. And I get very um, into it, right? I, I just, it, it, I, I hyper-focus into the story. And so then it's almost like I can feel the empathy for them. It's like, you know, they, usually your guests are very good at coloring a, a picture. So, you know, you get in there and it's like, so then it's like, oh, it almost like takes me back to when I was a kid sometimes when they were talking about their kid stuff. And so then it's like, Oh, Oh yeah. Oh yuck. Yes. Oh, I know this feeling. Oh, oh why do I know this feeling? Oh, Oh, ooh, right. Right. It's right. Uh, it's, it, yeah. Right. When you're only right. When you're sharing in a group or something and it's shorter, you don't have time to necessarily sink so deeply into the somatic or, or feeling elements of it. 
as you do when it's long format like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a commercial break sometimes, but, <laughs> but, of you course, know, yeah. but, but it's very, once you get back from the commercial, you're, you're right back into it again, but right back. yeah. Or, or sometimes, you know, sometimes pod, there's podcast series. So it's over eight weeks. You have to listen to the story. Whereas this is just, it's very in depth for a good hour. Yeah. Right. Oh, interesting. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's cool. It's, I've always been curious about exactly what sort of draws people. I mean, I know what draws me to that type of storytelling, but I know there's all these different entry points for different people. So, so thanks for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. My pleasure. And I mean, I could be wrong or I could have a different answer in an hour or two when I think about it more, <laughs> but I think <laughs> sure. for me, that's what it is, is, is I, sure, just get yeah, so, yeah. I get so involved and there's no distractions. What, what are some of the, what, what are the, some of the episodes that a lot of people contact you with or about and say, you know, this, mm. this was very powerful or this was very relatable for me or it's hard. I know that's another hard question because well, you've done like 250 episodes. Well, it's, <laughs> you know, this is interesting because I like, I don't necessarily get personally contacted that much occasionally. Um, not occasionally. I mean, often people do write and they'll say something about the show and usually they're talking about it in general. Um, they often though will write the storytellers because they're able to contact them directly. Uh, right. if they're Which is another amazing thing that, sorry, I, I cut you off there, but what, that's another really incredible thing that, that you do, um, or that the storytellers are willing to do. Yeah. And sometimes they're anonymous, but even when they're anonymous, I encourage them usually to create like an anonymous email so people can reach out. Um, I mean, the stories that get the most, traction or the most talked about are the ones that are more controversial. <laughs> um, but I don't think those are necessarily the ones that impact people the most. That's just the one that they have something to say about. Um, and I think that's actually a huge, this is, I've learned so much about social media from doing this because I'm like, the things that get the most interaction are actually the stories that aren't necessarily the deepest. They're just something that people can argue about. And that argument creates the interaction. But the thing that people like when people get the most messages themselves are not necessarily those episodes. And there's a huge difference. Like some episodes where people just are tearing apart the storyteller because they didn't like some decision they made, you know, that's there'll be all this flurry online of people like going back and forth. I can't believe they did this. Right. I can't believe they said that. And then the personal emails they get are generally like very heartwarming and loving and supportive. Um, this happened with the woman who started out this past season, who was a woman who was having an affair and you know, online, it was just all these people who had so many judgments about her affair and they had so many judgments about who she was and she never should have done that. And she's a narcissist. And on a personal level, she got so many emails from people who were themselves either in an affair right now, or had had one in their past. And they were saying, you are so brave. Like, thank you for giving voice to those of us who yeah, we made a bad decision and we're living with that and we can't talk about it publicly and we can't process this in any anywhere because exactly of the reaction that was there online, right? Exactly that kind of judgmentalism. Um, so it's really taught me so much about that. Um, I did get an enormous outpouring for me personally. I think the most that I've gotten in terms of just sort of support and appreciation from a story was this recent point blank series that I did. Um, there were five episodes that we did uh, around this mass shooting that took place in California. And it was just an unusual series for us to do because it was five stories all connected to one incident. Um, 
and within that, some of those stories just like really touched people. And I think the combined effect of all of those kind of telling a larger portrait of what happened there, it just really, it caused people just to reach out with a lot more uh, to me than they had before. And I think they also, you know, often when it's just a one-off story, they're going to, they're going to write to the person more, but I think they understood in that series, what we do more behind the scenes to kind of put these together in a larger narrative arc. So I think people felt the need to write at right. And, and it was, it was one of the most powerful set of stories I've ever done on the show. Um, mm. I felt personally as well. So uh, the thing I liked about that series too, is like you, you started playing the episodes and more people came out to want to talk about yeah. it. And yeah. so you have to, you have to do another episode or two because of it. <laughs> that certainly added to the workload <laughs> unexpectedly. <laughs> Um, yeah. but yeah, they had listened to the first two episodes, a friend, yeah, that was that one guy, um, especially that he had a friend contacted him and said, I think this is about the shooting that took place in your town. And he really wanted to tell his uncle's story. So we, we interviewed him as well. Hmm. It's wonderful to see the the podcast pull back on itself like that. I've had a number of people who have written their stories in because they heard another story on the show and they said, you know, I wasn't comfortable to tell this story until I heard this other story. And now I'd like to share um, and there's a certain set of episodes that happened because they were listeners to the show and they, they were inspired to even share at all their story because of the other people they heard. Um, and I just love that, that impact. And I love like hearing from people like you, right. We're having this conversation because you're a listener, but you've also reached out to so many of the storytellers. And like you were saying at the beginning, you've become friends with some of the storytellers. And that's amazing that there's this community that's sort of being, there's this ripple effect of community, um, that can come out of the show. Uh, I, I can relate to, to that as a, someone that has the platform where people tell their story that, yeah, other people will be, will then contact me and then they become a guest on the show. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, oh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what I was going to ask. Are you, are you often humbled by, by the people that are on your show that are willing to open up and, and is, is that humbleness or if, if you do experience that, does that help you with maybe your panic and your your things like that like Mm. you know what i'm trying to say (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think there there is a i mean there's absolutely a humility that comes from listening to these stories i think not only again because of the extraordinary nature of what people go through but also understanding the scope of what people go through i mean you know, before I did this show, I knew that sexual assault was prevalent. And, you know, there's these statistics, like one in four women have been sexually assaulted and this kind of stuff. And, and the statistics are very underreported for men as well, um, Mm -hmm. though it's not as prevalent, but it's just a number. And then when you start hearing these stories, and you start multiplying that, and you start realizing this is just millions and millions and millions of people. um, It just, it's, that is humbling. I think when I sort of like start to understand just the scope of what humans go through. And again, that, and then you layer on the invisibility element of that. And, you know, every time I'm on the subway, I think of, you know, a quarter of the people here have experienced sexual assault. Um, And then if they haven't experienced sexual assault, they've experienced another trauma. They've experienced alcoholism. They've experienced death. They've experienced near death. They've experienced panic attacks. And you just start to layer that on. And it just gives me such an incredible compassion um, for humanity. And yeah, I think that humility, it does help me with my, my panic disorder a lot because it makes me feel like I'm not alone 
in all situations. It's not just that I'm not alone when I'm listening to these stories. It's like, if we can feel that way when we're just around in public and people don't just become these nameless faces that are around us, but they become people with full-blooded life stories, um, it makes me feel like I'm a part of it. And it makes you feel like you belong and it makes you feel not alienated. Yeah, I've become a lot more, less judgmental and a lot more empathetic since getting sober because of the first time I experienced real kind of storytelling was in addiction treatment. And, uh, you know, these really rough looking gang member dudes who are bawling their eyes out talking about some of the most <laughs> horrific shit I've ever heard in my life. And it's like, oh, next time I see some gangster with tattoos on his face and is, you know, some intimidating dude walking down the street, they are probably going through a lot of fucking pain. Uh, so, so yeah. Oh yeah. Um, the cycle of abuse. That's another, that's another huge eye opener. It's just the cycles of abuse that people go through that people that are victims of abuse are usually <laughs> abused by perpetrators who have been victims themselves at some other point in their life. And you just extrapolate that back into the generations and you also start to get a scope of history that's completely different than how we normally think of it. Uh, it's like in here in Canada, there's the uh, indigenous population and I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know much about it and there's like generational trauma and, um, and I knew about it, you know, I'd heard about it, but once I had gone to treatment and actually sat in a room and, you know, felt the pain from some, from, from people was like, holy shit. Okay. This is like, again, like you said, you see numbers and stuff, but then you hear, you know, firsthand stories and then it really, it kind of sinks in. And, and the weird thing yeah. is you're right. There are like, the numbers are incredible. Millions and millions and millions of people. Why is it so invisible still? Why, yeah, why can't we just talk about it? Why can't? And why is there so much shame and stuff behind it still? It's, it's, it, that's the part that's really mind blowing to me anyway. It really is. It really is. And I think now we're in a part in history where we're just starting to really pull that lid off, you know, and there is so much more license. I think there's something about, you know, the times we live in that people say are so chaotic and it's unprecedented and it's overwhelming. And I think that's true. And I also think we're just talking about it. Um, I think people always lived with this level of uncertainty, anxiety, and throughout history, way more so. I mean, you think of major events like World War II and the plague and, you know, just the disruptions that took place throughout history. Um, and it's cool to read about it in a textbook, <laughs> but we don't have <laughs> yeah. the tweets from those times, right? We don't have the same mental health conversation <laughs> from ordinary people, Um and I think if we did, we'd we'd find that there was this same unprecedented nature uh, of uncertainty and volatility and confusion. And um, I don't know. That's not to diminish I what agree. we're going through now. It is wild and it is unsettling. And at the same time, I don't know. I think we just don't know. Yeah, I agree. I think there was a good 20, 30 years of not a whole lot of chaos. Uh, and then, yeah, something like COVID happens or whatever. Uh, yeah. And then it's like, oh yeah, right. This has been going on for, this isn't that new really. So it does feel new to people that are 20 years old. Say, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 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 Because we, a lot of us grew up in the nineties and early two thousands in an era of relative peace. We had nine 11, you know, we had certain like mm -hmm. big events, of course. Um, but just there was relative stability in our homeland. Um, and that's rare in the world throughout history. So Do you think COVID is one of the reasons why people are talking about it more is because so many people that maybe never would have experienced any kind of trauma or, or um, 
you know, isolation and all this stuff. Uh, do you think maybe that's a reason why it's like people that wouldn't normally get it are starting to get it and go, oh, maybe we should be open and talk about some of the stuff? Yeah, it's hard to say. I'd be interested to hear someone who's a more expert on this than me about sort of the causes why why the health mental health conversation has grown. I mean, COVID, I think definitely sort of added jet fuel to the conversation. But I think well, well before that, I think, you know, 2010 and on, I think it just opened up more and more. I do think personally, I think the the biggest thing was the internet. I mean, just the decentralization of knowledge, the ability to share stories openly and publicly. And I think that that ability to get a view into everyone's life in a way that we just weren't able to before, the ability to form groups um, to find like niche groups of people to talk about this stuff with that weren't available in places maybe like Saskatchewan, right? Um, you might have living in that smaller town, like not been able to access like what you're able to access now. Um, and so the conversation just may not have happened in the same way. And I think it's so sad in a way that we have this incredible ability to share our stories and yet it feels more divisive than ever. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity for us to come together around that, right? To be able to understand how multifaceted everything is. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that is the big win from mental health is to kind of understand the variety of human experience, but yeah, it comes at its cost for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's funny, the internet and social media, it's like, there's so much good that comes from it, but it, it also divides people even further because you do join these camps and you are anonymous and, you know, the keyboard warriors. So then it's like, things are getting more extreme because you are finding your niche tribes, whether it's mental health or extremism or whatever. And, and so... So yeah. yeah, so maybe the world is more d divisive than th th it ever was been because of the internet, but also talking more because of the internet. <laughs> yeah. But also talking, exactly. Well, and I think <clears throat> you're exactly right. I think it's all of it, right? I think we're learning so much about each other through the internet. That is, we're learning how much mental health, how many mental health issues there are. We're learning how compassionate we all are. And we're also learning how aggressive and angry we all are and how many narcissists there are out there that I think just got kind of absorbed into polite society before. <laughs> um, you know, if mental health wasn't being talked about, also all the seething aggression people have that they don't express wasn't being talked about, right? Um, right. But now it is. Now open aggression is just because of the veil of anonymity, you can just do it. Um, yeah. You know, and then, but I think by that opposite token, you know, the suffering that people go through is also out there in a way that it never has been. So I think we're just, it's like this time where we're seeing all of it and we just don't know how to digest that level of what's going on. Um, yeah, and I think, right. you know, if you look out there too, you can see all the, like, you know, I find, I follow these like good news posts on Instagram. It's really fun. These like, there's all these like kind of like good news pages and it's kind of amazing. You can see people rescuing animals and taking care of people and doing all these like amazing things in the world that you're just like, holy shit. I didn't know. I mean, I knew all that was going on. Right. But when you see it and you see these videos, it's tear jerking and, and there's just as much you can watch of that as there are beheadings and road rage <laughs> and political division. Karen's. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, and cats, come on. I mean, cats, we've also revealed that cats are obviously an evolved species well beyond human and the internet gave us that and, you know, so. <laughs> and octopuses um, are aliens. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, internet. Yeah. Thank you, internet. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
I kind of mentioned this in an email that there's a lot of people throwing out the word, the words trauma porn, and you would listen to our podcast and it might seem at times like it is just trauma porn. And, um, I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. it's not a question. <laughs> maybe I was no, talking that's about- a good, yeah, it's a good, I mean, it's a good thing to think about, right? I think it's a really good thing for those of us who do this kind of work to be extremely mindful about. Um, there is a degree to which this thing, this kind of conversation can sort of become about the salacious elements of it. Um, and it can become about like, wow, did you see that? Or, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. Or, you know, there's sort of a shock value to it. Um, and I think we all need to be really mindful of that. And this, this has to be sort of about connection and it has to be about compassion and about healing and about love for people and about telling really challenging stories and about challenging ourselves. Um, and as soon as those elements aren't really the central focus and you find yourself, chasing either the shock value or kind of the salacious elements of a story. Um, yeah, there's some questioning to do there for content creators. So I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, I think it's going to become more and more, especially, you know, now we're kind of in this wave where everyone's just starting to share their trauma a lot. And that's been going on now for a few years. And I can easily imagine a future in five, 10 years down the road when people are like, yeah, I get it. You know, and there's like a saturation to talking about trauma and, we also have to be careful about that. Like if we talk about it too much, if we talk about it in the wrong ways, um, it becomes something that people just will start rolling their eyes at. Yeah. Again, I think it's about intent. It, it's what's the intention Absolutely. of of contacting this person and telling their story. But um, Absolutely. And it's about the format, right? It's about how we format these things. I mean, the true crime, the entire true crime genre has had a huge reckoning where like they focused so much on the perpetrators, right? And it became... Like it wasn't trauma porn in that way, but it was like it it was focusing entirely on the perpetrators. And now we have a we have voices for the victims so much more that are weaved in because people, um, you know, were outraged about that and for good reason. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, not that I don't love true crime. Still, I still love true crime, <laughs> but it's oh, yeah, when it's done in a sympathetic way, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's guilty pleasures right <laughs> yeah absolutely and it's a yeah and it's a pleasure but you know i've i've been in that same thing where you know you can kind of tell you can just tell you can tell when the creators of whatever the media is that is covering a true crime story are doing it you know to just if it bleeds it leads <laughs> and right um when they're doing it in a more in-depth way, that's either informative or compassionate, or it's just different. Um, and so anyway, interesting discussion. That, that's cool. You brought that up. That was interesting. Yeah. I talked to one of my heroes today. Uh, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much. It was really a, a wonderful interview. I've just, I've enjoyed talking to you. And I think, um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of overlap here. I feel like there's something, um, it's really great to talk to another creator about these kinds of things, right? I can't thank you enough, Wit. I appreciate your time and your wisdom. I appreciate you telling your story about having others tell their stories. And I just love your podcast. So uh, it was it was such a thrill getting to talk to you and uh, getting to share this conversation with people. If you want to hear Wit's podcast, this is actually happening. You can find it on any podcast platform, really. It's so great. He does amazing work. 
Uh, and speaking of people that do amazing work, you, you should check out my friend Robin, who is a virtual assistant. You can find her and her links on Instagram at robinjoy underscore biz strategist. Uh, I will try to remember to put that in the show notes. Uh, and she's been helping me with emails and strategies for the business. And well, when I say business, I mean the podcast. Uh, she's she's basically an online business manager. You can book a consultation with her. Uh, she has weekly planning emails. You can launch things with her. She can help you uh, set up websites and all types of stuff. So basically all the stuff that I'm terrible at and I don't like doing, she likes doing and is good at it. So if you have any kind of business, really, uh, please check out Robin at robinjoy underscore biz strategist on Instagram. And don't forget to check out next week's episode. Don't forget to like, rate, and review. And don't forget to join the social medias uh, for the podcast. Uh, And also don't forget to please make your beds and take your meds. Bye. Bye.